Good evening and welcome to another episode of Brush Up Your Shakespeare, where we make Shakespeare fun and easy. After covering the introduction to Hamlet in our first episode, we are ready to jump into the play with Act 1, Scene 1. The line we will be learning from this scene is, "'Tis bitter cold and I am sick at heart." Say it with me, "'Tis bitter cold and I am sick at heart.'" And a third time, "'Tis bitter cold and I am sick at heart.'" As the curtain rises on Hamlet, we find ourselves outdoors in the middle of the night. It is cold, very cold. We are in Denmark, that's why it's so cold, at the royal castle, but not inside the castle, outside the castle, on the battlements, with a lone guard standing watch. But he will not be alone for long. And what is the first line of this greatest of all Shakespeare plays? Who's there? Not kidding. Totally serious. That's the first line in its entirety. Who's there? It's like we've been dropped off unexpectedly in the middle of a knock-knock joke. Or more importantly, we have been dropped off unexpectedly in the middle of the action. I was surprised on first reading Shakespeare how quickly he throws the audience into the action of the play. I was expecting a lot more flowery language and description to move us slowly into the plot. But that's not how Shakespeare rolls. And this is a good example. Who's there? So if you just ask who's there, you're already quoting Shakespeare. See how easy this is? And as the play progresses, we will see how significant this first line of who's there really is. But who's there is not the quote we will be learning today. The quote we will be learning is, "'Tis bitter cold and I am sick at heart." Did you remember? "'Tis bitter cold and I am sick at heart." And one more time, "'Tis bitter cold and I am sick at heart." The name of this lone guard is not important to remember as he and the other guards who join him will not figure prominently in the play. But it is the middle of the night and the guard is changing. We know it is the middle of the night because one guard says, "'Tis now struck twelve. Or as Michael Jackson put it, "'It's close to midnight and something evil's lurking in the dark.'" But I'm sure these guards on the battlements have nothing to fear from something evil lurking in the dark. Or do they? A new guard coming on shift asks the one who is leaving, have you had quiet guard? The guard who is leaving answers, not a mouse stirring. Yes, that's right. We have all probably heard this expression before, not a mouse stirring, but not so many are aware this expression comes from Hamlet. Shakespeare contributed many new words and expressions to the English language. This is one of them. And if you should say, in conversation, not a mouse stirring, well, you're once again quoting Shakespeare. But that is not the line we are learning. The line we are learning is, "'Tis bitter cold, and I am sick at heart." We immediately understand why this guard should think it bitter cold. He's been keeping watch outside the castle in the cold the entire night, up till midnight, when he is relieved of duty. But why is he sick at heart? Why is he not just bitter cold? Why is he also sick at heart? The reason is because other things are going on even before the play starts. And we are about to learn what some of those things are and that indeed something evil may be lurking in the dark. The, the guards coming on duty bring somebody special with them, a fellow by the name of Horatio. Unlike the guards, this is one name we are going to want to remember. Horatio does play an important part in the play. 
Who is Horatio? Horatio is Hamlet's dearest friend. Horatio is the person to whom Hamlet can confide his deepest feelings. And we as the audience get to watch and listen to their interactions and find out what makes Hamlet tick. One more side note, Hamlet does not appear in the first scene. Well, at least Prince Hamlet doesn't, but his best friend Horatio does. After introductions are complete and everything seems relatively normal, a question is asked that is full of meaning and eeriness. And we are just 25 lines into the play when the shoe drops. This is the question. What? Has this thing appeared again tonight? Huh? What thing? What thing has appeared? And it sounds like whatever this thing is, it has appeared before. Because it says, has this thing appeared again tonight? One of the guards notes that Horatio has already heard the story, but doesn't believe it. And so has come along this night to see if it will appear again. Here's what the guard says. Horatio says, "'Tis but our fantasy, and will not let belief take hold of him touching this dreaded sight, twice seen of us." So whatever it is has appeared twice to the guards before the play opens, and it is a dreaded sight. They have brought Horatio along not only to confirm the guards really have seen something, but also to speak to it if it appears. Therefore, the guard says, therefore, I have entreated him, Horatio, I have entreated him along with us to watch the minutes of this night, that if again this apparition come, he may approve our eyes, or in other words, vouch for what we have seen. If he sees the same thing, he's proving that our eyes are actually working correctly. He may approve our eyes if this apparition come and speak to it. So he's coming along, not just to see if it appears, but also to speak to it, because apparently this ghost will not speak to the guards. Horatio remains fully disbelieving, but he sits down with the guards to hear the story. The guard barely gets started on his story. I mean, really, he gets three and a half lines into his story when the ghost appears. And not just any ghost. This ghost looks exactly like the king of Denmark, who just recently died. This is another reason, by the way, that that guard might be sick at heart and not just bitter cold, because the king of Denmark has recently died about two months before. Now, another side note, the king of Denmark's name, who has died before the play starts, is Hamlet. He has a son. The son is the prince. The son has the same name. Prince Hamlet, okay? So usually when we're talking about Hamlet, we're talking about the prince. He's the guy that the play is named after. But his dad was also named Hamlet, the one who's dead and is now walking the battlements at night in ghost-like form. So I mentioned that just to make it so hopefully we won't be confused by that when it shows up later. Horatio tries to talk to it. Remember, Horatio is the smart one. He is the scholar. One of the guards says, thou art a scholar. Speak to it, Horatio. So apparently they think that he'll know something from having gone to college and all that higher education that's going to help him know how to speak to a ghost. But it doesn't work. The ghost won't speak to Horatio and disappears. This part always reminds me of the opening scene of Ghostbusters when they're in the basement of the New York Public Library and they see the ghost of the librarian. Bill Murray and Harold Ramos look to Dan Aykroyd 
because Dan Aykroyd is the one who has studied all of this and he knows this stuff, right? He's the scholar in the group. But in spite of all his knowledge, Dan Aykroyd's plan is get her. That was your plan, get her? Yeah, in the same way, Horatio's vaunted knowledge does absolutely nothing either to get the ghost to speak or to keep it from disappearing. What could this mean? That the ghost of the dead king is walking the castle ramparts at night. Almost certainly nothing good. In fact, there are legends of strange and supernatural occurrences surrounding the death of great kings and even emperors. Horatio recounts one such legend regarding Julius Caesar's death when he was assassinated by a conspiracy of Roman senators in 44 BCE. And this may be one of the most blood-chilling lines in literature, at least as far as I'm concerned. It's right up there with winter is coming or the night is dark and full of terrors, neither of which come from Shakespeare, as you probably already know. But this is how Horatio puts it. And he's talking about these signs, remember, surrounding uh, the death of Caesar in this case. Here's what he says. In the most high and palmy state of Rome, a little ere the mightiest Julius fell. The graves stood tenantless, and the sheeted dead did squeak and gibber in the Roman streets. That's the line. In the most high and palmy state of Rome, a little heir, which is before, a little before the mightiest Julius fell, Julius Caesar, obviously, the grave stood tenantless, David tenantless. That's supposed to be a joke because David Tennant is a great Shakespearean actor. Anyway, the grave stood tenantless and the sheeted dead did squeak and gibber in the Roman streets. Well, I don't know about you, but I just got a shiver down my spine. Why are the dead covered with sheets, by the way? This sounds like a modern day ghost costume for Halloween trick-or-treating. The answer is because the dead were buried in a winding sheet. So when they come forth, they naturally still have it on thus accounting for why Horatio calls them the sheeted dead. They were three sheets to the wind. <laughs> but more to the point, Horatio is relating a legend of the dead appearing and wandering about as a sign that something terrible is going to happen. In Horatio's quote, it is a sign of the death of Julius Caesar. But why this ghost of the dead King Hamlet is wandering about is still an open question. It must mean something, but what it is we are yet to discover, which is why they want to speak to him so badly, to find out. Horatio refers to this general principle of supernatural signs preceding or going before evil events and concludes that they are, quote, as harbingers preceding still the fates and prologue to the omen coming on, have heaven and earth together demonstrated unto our climatures and countrymen. This is an absolutely gorgeous line. And what he's talking about is harbingers or messengers who are sent in advance of the company that they represent that are preceding still the fates, not proceeding, preceding, coming before the fates, this destruction, this thing that's bad that's going to happen that they are a sign of. And then he puts it a different way. He says, as harbingers preceding still the fates and prologue, to the omen coming on, same idea. Have heaven and earth together demonstrated by signs in the heavens above and in the earth beneath, unto our climatures, which simply means regions of land, unto our climatures and countrymen. 
beautiful, absolutely gorgeous line. And notice, it's virtually a throwaway line. And yet Shakespeare imbues it with substance and meaning every bit as much as to be or not to be. Shakespeare is just warming up in this play. This is another reason Hamlet is his greatest play. But as soon as Horatio completes this line, the ghost appears a second time. And Horatio says, but soft, behold, lo, where it comes again. Horatio once again tries to talk to it, asking if it has a voice, if it wants Horatio to do something that will bring it peace, the ghost, peace, if the ghost knows something bad about Denmark's future that might be avoided, or if the ghost is guarding buried treasure. Again, nothing works. The ghost says nothing. They try and stop it from leaving, get her, but it disappears once more. One of the guards says it was about to speak when the cock crew. Now, the cock is a rooster, okay? And roosters crow, and the past tense is crew here, okay? It was about to speak when the cock crew. So that's why it disappeared the second time. The rooster crows, the cock crows, and it disappears because dawn is coming. Then follows a discussion about how ghosts are creatures of the night and go back to wherever it is they come from at dawn. Now, the funny thing about this line is that it is now dawn. Do you know why that's funny? Because if you're thinking that it was only 10 minutes ago in this play that it had struck midnight, you go to the head of the class. That's right. Remember, it was just midnight. That's when the ghost appeared. Now, all of a sudden, it's dawn. This is another important thing to know about Shakespeare. For Shakespeare, the play is the thing. Everything else must bend to the to the okay everything else must bend to the dramatic action of the play whether it be history or locale or even time itself so shakespeare sees no problem in having the ghost appear at midnight and then before this brief scene is over it is already dawn and now one of the guards gets to say a gorgeous line when he compares the ghost disappearing at dawn with the way evil supernatural forces are rendered powerless at Christmas time, because it's a time of light and a time of holiness. Here's what the guard says. Some say that ever against that season comes wherein our Savior's birth is celebrated. The bird of dawning, that's the cock, that's the rooster, the bird of dawning. The bird of dawning singeth all night long. And then they say, no spirit dare stir abroad. The nights are wholesome, then no planets strike, no fairy takes, nor witch hath power to charm. So hallowed and so gracious is the time. Isn't that beautiful? I was so taken with this passage and remain so, but I was so much so that I used it once in a talk at church in Christmas or at Christmas. But Horatio, not to be outdone, says this about the day he sees dawning. But look, the morn in russet mantle clad walks o'er the dew of yon high eastward hill. The night is over, the day has come. Horatio has seen the ghost and knows it is real, but the mystery remains. Why does the ghost walk the battlements at night? To find out, they must get the ghost to speak. 
The guards haven't been able to manage that, neither has the scholar Horatio. But Horatio has a plan. Since the ghost looks like the dead King Hamlet, let's get his son, the prince, young Prince Hamlet, to try to speak to it. Here's how he puts his plan. Break we our watch up, and by my advice, let us impart what we have seen tonight unto young Hamlet. For upon my life, this spirit, dumb to us, will speak to him. So let's go find Hamlet, the prince. Let's tell him what happened tonight. And this spirit, dumb to us, in other words, it won't speak to us, but it will speak to him. That's Horatio's plan. It's a good plan, as we'll find out. And the last line of the scene is one of the guards agreeing with Horatio's idea. Let's do it, I pray. And I this morning know where we shall find him most convenient. So then they leave to go out to find Prince Hamlet to put this plan of Horatio's into action. And that ends the first scene of the first act of Hamlet. We have learned many things in this brief scene. That the ghost of the recently deceased King of Denmark is stalking the castle walls at night that this kind of supernatural event is often associated with the death of kings and possibly even with the murder of kings. Remember, Horatio gives the example of Julius Caesar, who was murdered, that this ghost is not a figment of imagination because Horatio confirms he sees it too, that the ghost will not say why he roams the earth, that a plan is devised to get young Prince Hamlet out to the battlements at night so he can see the ghost of his father, King Hamlet, who will surely speak his purpose to his own son. Now, do you remember our Shakespeare line for today? Tis bitter cold and I am sick at heart. Once again, tis bitter cold and I am sick at heart. And third time pays for all with feeling, tis bitter cold and I am sick at heart. Well, that's all for this episode. In closing, please hit like, please hit subscribe, please leave a comment in the comment section, and please share this podcast with your family and with your friends. At this point, after one podcast, we are already up to 652 subscribers. Thank you, all 652 of you. I appreciate it. I would love it if we could get to 1,000 subscribers with this second episode. So until next time, this is Brush Up Your Shakespeare, signing off the air.